Hello, my name is Deborah Toombs, and I'll be reading the scripture for today, which is 1 John 1 to 4. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and testify to it. And we, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Thanks, Deb. Thank you, Lyndon. And good morning again to you. Let me pray as we get ready to open up God's word. Jesus, we thank you for the realities that we've already sung about this morning, being confronted by who you are, being made aware once again just how beautiful you are. In this moment, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you show us your glory? Would you speak to our hearts through your spirit and through your word? And will we leave differently because you are here and because you are alive and because you're working? In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm excited because today we are starting a new teaching series in what's called the book of 1 John. I've been excited about this for a while now because when you think about 1 John, if you know anything about 1 John, one of the things that you are aware of is that 1 John has some of the most beautiful and compelling statements about God that sweep us up into his utter awesomeness, like coffee, coffee cup verses, verses that you would stick on a t-shirt that bring us face to face with the awesomeness of God. Statements like, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Or, or God is love, and that God shows us his love by sending his one and only son into the world to lay down his life for us. God is light. God is love. God is holy. God is loving. These beautiful statements are, how about this? He, Jesus, is the true God and eternal life. See, over and over, the author of this letter, a guy named John who walked with Jesus, and we'll talk about that today, he's going to sweep us up into the wonder and the beauty and the awesomeness of who God is, reminding us that this is the God that we are here to worship. This is the God that we get to know through faith in Jesus, and that this God is like unlike anything or anyone else. So I'm excited because 1 John sweeps us, us up into this, but I'm also aware that 1 John is also a gritty, down-to-earth letter where John is going to talk plainly to us about what it looks like and what it doesn't look like to follow Jesus. He's going to talk to us plainly about the challenges that come with following Jesus as the community of Jesus called the church amidst this world. He's going to talk about things like how you stay the course with Jesus when everything around you is trying to pull you away, is trying to get your attention off him, trying to distract you. How do you stay the course? How do you persevere and stay in relationship with Jesus? He's going to talk about being a holy people in a morally gray world. He's going to talk about becoming a people who are more than just welcoming, but a people who are loving in the same way that God is loving, a people who love one another in a way that stands out in stark contrast from the divisive, polarized, and even hate-filled world that we sometimes become so accustomed to. 
And so 1 John is going to speak gritty words and he's going to speak plainly to us about these things and more. And he's going to do so in such a way that it might sound strange to our ears. It might sound strange as we go through this series because John is a very black and white communicator. There's very little gray in what John says and how he writes. So he'll write things like, whoever claims to love God and yet hates someone is a liar. You don't actually love God. He's going to say things like, if you claim to be without sin, you're deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. He's going to say things like this. He's not going to pull any punches. He's going to speak very clearly, very black and white to us. And that's going to feel unfamiliar and even offensive at times in a morally gray cultural moment that lives by the mantra, pick the truth that works for you and then throw out the rest. So John's style may feel odd and even offensive at times. And that's why our commitment to you is to teach this sensitively yet faithfully. That's our goal, faithful to the text, but also aware of how this might land and how that might be heard by you and those listening online. That's, that's our heart, faithful to the text, aware of how this might sound. But just because John writes this way does not mean that he's uncaring or he's heartless. See, the man John, he's a spiritual father to a group of people in these churches that are all over Asia Minor. He's a spiritual father, and he writes to a church and churches, viewing them as dear friends and children. He's going to say that over and over. He's going to call them dear friends, beloved children. He's going to call these, these names of affection and love, revealing that John is actually not being heartless. He's actually trying to be helpful that he has a deep love for the people he's writing to and he wants them and he wants us to know Jesus deeply and to know him truly, to be strengthened in our faith and to become the community of Jesus in the world that Jesus envisions. That's the heart of the pastor John and it's the heartbeat of this series as well. This is the letter of 1 John and we're gonna journey through it over the next few months together starting with today as we go to the beginning and pick up John's letter in verse one where he says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. And so to understand Christianity, you need to understand the story that it tells. It's hard to grasp the power and the beauty and the wonder and the tragedy and the redemption and all of what is encompassed within that story if you don't have some sense of it. And so like any great writer, John is bringing us into the story of Christianity in the opening lines of his letter and he starts by introducing us to the main character and to the hero of that story right away. And to get a grasp on that hero, John takes us all the way back to the very beginning, all the way back to the very start of all things, to a time before the world was created and before history started. Because that's where the story of this hero begins which means that the story of Christianity has a beginning, but this hero doesn't. The story of Christianity actually has a starting point in time, in history, but this hero never has a starting point. See, the language John uses here is language that bears this out. He's talking about the word of life. He's talking about someone who has existed before the world began. 
Before the world was created, before the cosmos were created, the word of life was there. The word of life was there before animals and trees and time and people and mountains and the foundations of this world were set in place. The hero was there. There's never been a time when this hero has not been. He has always existed, always will be, and always is. He has no beginning and end. And John, as he begins his letter, he reaches back all the way into eternity to a time before time began to introduce our hero. And you've probably guessed it, that this hero is God. This hero is Jesus. It's Jesus. And if there's anything we can say about Christianity is that Jesus is the beginning, the middle, and the end of everything. Jesus is the beginning, the middle, and the end of everything. You can't think about the story of Christianity and what it's telling without Jesus. You can't think about what it means to live a life of faith without thinking about Jesus. You can't think about the world we live in or your marriage or what it means to be a parent or what it means to be human or about sexuality. You can't think about any of those things without thinking about Jesus. He's the starting point. He's the beginning place. Which isn't, isn't surprising then that that's where John begins his letter. He begins with Jesus. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. And so John doesn't start with an idea. He doesn't start with a philosophy He doesn't start with an argument. He starts with a person and his personal experience of that person. And he calls this person the word of life, which is his way of talking about Jesus. And this would have made sense to his original audience, to the Jewish people that he's writing to and to the Greek people that he's writing to. See, when they would hear this, they would hear something very specific. To Jewish ears, they would hear the word. And they would think about the one God used to create the cosmos the one that God has used to speak about himself to his creation. That's what Jewish people would hear when they heard the word. But for a Greek audience, they would hear the same thing. And what they would think about is that the word is a divine being that gives the universe meaning and coherence. That's how they would hear it. But for us and for our purposes, what's important is that the word of life is a divine eternal being who is the source of life. He doesn't just give life. He is life. And John says this limitless, eternal, divine being entered into history as a human. Verse two, he says the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. This is something that is so mind-blowing and mysterious and amazing that it's really, really difficult to fully comprehend. That the one who always has been the one who formed the universe, that upholds it by the word of his power, who is sovereign over all things, that being, that person became just like us and walked on earth without losing any of his divinity. He could be seen with human eyes. He could be heard with human ears. He could be touched with human hands. See, John is putting before us one of the greatest mysteries of all. God became human and he lived among us. In his book, Knowing God, J.A. Packer describes the staggering reality and the mystery in these words. He says, God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises. 
needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there was no deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Staggering is right. God became human. God lived among us. And because of that, we can know who God is and what he's like. So our two sons, when they were younger and they learned how to speak, one of the things that they would often do is they'd come into the room in their diapers and they'd announce themselves like, here's Jack, here's Levi. And they would say it in their kind of cute baby voices and they would come in and they wanted us to, they wanted to announce themselves. They wanted to identify who was in the room and they wanted our attention on them. And now, like, we, I think about that and I share that with you and the reality is now they just sit in the living room and yell at us, hey, I'm hungry, give me a snack. But they used to, there was a time where they used to come into the room and announce themselves, here's Levi, here's Jack. They were announcing who they were and they wanted us to see there was a time when they did that. And John is saying, there was a time when God came to earth and said, here I am. I'm here. Here I am. Jesus is God's way of announcing that he has come close. And it's his way of telling us who he is and what he's like. And the Bible talks about this in a letter called Hebrews it says this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He's talking about Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Or in something else that John wrote about Jesus, he says this in the, the, the biography of Jesus called John in chapter one, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the, only, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. What this all means is that when we look at Jesus, we see who God is and what God is like. Jesus came to reveal God to us. Yes, he came to rescue us, that he came, John says, in love to lay down his life for us, that anyone who would believe in him, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, they could have a life and a personal relationship with God the Father, both now and forever. He came to rescue us, but John, in this letter, is saying he also came to reveal God to us. He came to rescue us and reveal God to us and the thing about John is he's not writing about this from a secondhand experience. He hasn't heard this from someone who actually experienced it, and now he's just writing it down so he can pass it along. No, John, he actually experienced all of this firsthand for himself. He had personal experience with the person of Jesus while Jesus walked on earth. His, his experience of Jesus was as close and as real as you could possibly get. And he writes about that using sensory language. Did you notice that he's doing that? He's writing about it with a full orb of our sense, senses. He says that he heard Jesus' voice with his own ears. That there was a day when John was a fisherman and he was tending his nets. And that's all he thought his life was going to be. And then one day Jesus showed up and said to him, follow me and I will make you fishers of other people. He heard Jesus teach things like the Sermon on the Mount. He heard him teach in synagogues. He heard him teach by the lake. 
He talked with Jesus. He had conversations with Jesus for three years. He heard Jesus' voice with his own ears. He saw Jesus with his own eyes. He looked on his face, saw the wind in his hair and the dust in his beard. He watched Jesus love people no one else loved. He saw Jesus heal people and walk on water and stop storms with nothing but his voice. He saw Jesus raise people from the dead. He saw Jesus with his own eyes. John says he also touched Jesus with his own hands. There's this beautiful story. It's in the dinner right before the, Jesus is crucified, and it says in, in, in that John was sitting beside Jesus, and he actually leans in and just cuddles with Jesus. He leaned on Jesus. He probably hugged Jesus, too. Maybe he put his hand on Jesus' shoulder to get his attention. He touched God incarnate. And he looked upon Jesus. That phrase, looked upon, means he gazed at Jesus' face. John was at the cross. He was there. He saw Jesus' naked, suffering body hang on the cross until he breathed his last breath. And then he saw Jesus with his own eyes on the other side of death. He saw the resurrected Jesus. He hung out with him for 40 days after Jesus died and came back to life. John gazed upon the dead and resurrected king of the universe. He looked upon Jesus with his own eyes. So John is someone who's experienced the wonder and the mystery of Jesus personally. He was someone who had been with Jesus. And so when John writes and he speaks about Jesus, he does so from a place of deep knowing and he does so from a place of authority because he had walked with Jesus, he had looked upon Jesus, he had listened to him, he had been with Jesus for three years in as close and as real a way as you could possibly imagine. He's lived and experienced what he's actually writing about which carries an authority and a power behind it. And for John, the reality of Jesus' appearing was so earth-shattering, so paradigm-shifting, so powerful and beautiful that it changed his world. It turned his world inside out and upside down. And here he is, all these years later, sharing his experience to a group of people who we're going to find out have really shaky faith at the moment who are uncertain about the future, who are feeling the pressure coming from outside and the pull of the world and false teaching. He's writing about this experience to them, telling them, reminding them that God has made himself known in Jesus and that you too can experience and enjoy Jesus just like I have. And it's why John goes on to say this in verse three. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So that, that phrase, so that, it's a statement of purpose. It's why John is writing in this moment. It's what he wants for the people that he's writing to. He's telling them about Jesus, who Jesus is and what he was like, how he appeared on earth. He's talking about how real and close his experience of Jesus was. Why? Because he wants them to experience what he did with Jesus too. He wants the same thing for them. And he sums up that experience with that word fellowship, which is a word that means to have something in common, the shared enjoyment of some gift or experience. And so John's heart for the churches he's writing to, his heart for us in this room 
is this. I want you to experience and enjoy Jesus just like I have. I want you to know him and feel the warmth of his love just like I have. I want you to encounter his blazing holiness just like I have. I want you to share this experience alongside others just like I did. I want this for you. I want this for you. Fellowship is what, with Jesus is what John is after, but I want us to see something very important is that notice that John envisions this happening in community. He says, so that you may have fellowship with us. That's relationship, community-type language. Meaning John envisions the experience and enjoyment of Jesus as happening with others. It's not just this individualized thing. Yes, it starts there, is that we put our personal faith in Jesus and what he did for us, and we say, I want that to count for me. It starts there, but it then goes beyond that to actually sharing that and experiencing that in community with others who have done the same thing and others who are on the journey into that as well. That's what he's talking about as he says these words in verse 3 and 4 which means John's vision for the community of Jesus called the church is about more than a room you sit in every Sunday or about the surface level relationships that we so often have and then call them fellowship. What he's talking about is a community that's anchored in Jesus and is bound together by its shared enjoyment of him. This is what John is talking about, and this is going to bring us into new territory as we go along in this letter, because that's going to put some new opportunities before us. It's going to change the way we think about this word fellowship. It's going to move us into new territory when we talk about who we are as the church. John starts, he anchors us in Jesus, and then he calls us to fellowship with him in the community. And then throughout this letter, he's going to teach us and spell out what that fellowship actually looks like. He'll say it's going to look like being honest about who you are and what you're wrestling with. He's talking about confession. Taking the risk with people you trust to share what's really going on beyond just the conversations about I'm busy, this is how work was, isn't the weather great? And oh yeah, the Canucks are brutal again this year. Let's hope not. He'll say it looks like loving people even if we disagree with them or think differently than they do. He's going to say it looks like doing what needs to be done in order to repair broken relationships. He's going to say it means eliminating any hate in your heart that you might have for someone else. It's going to mean being an arm holder. It means you're looking and you're seeing someone who's weary, who's hurting, who just can't seem to go on, and you lift them up with words, you hold their arms up, and then you let other people do the same for you. It will mean discerning together, praying together, serving together, speaking the truth and love together, fighting injustice together, sharing our very lives together. This is what fellowship looks like, sounds like, feels like in the book of 1 John. It goes beyond simply sharing this space with one another to sharing our very lives with Jesus and one another. That's what fellowship is. And I don't know about you, but I'm, re- I'm much better at sharing my life with Jesus than I am with sharing my life with others. I love people, and I enjoy being around them, but I'm an introvert and I'm wounded. I like to be alone. I actually recharge the best by being alone. My tank gets really low really fast, and I'm introverted, but I'm also wounded. And it's really hard for me to open myself up beyond what you see on this stage. It's really hard for me to open myself up beyond what I present to people outside these walls because deep down I'm wounded and I'm afraid I'm not good enough and that if I actually share who I really am with people, they're not going to see me as someone worthy of love and I'm going to end up being alone. 
it's much easier for me to share my life with Jesus than it is to share it with others. I like the idea of fellowship, but I find it hard to put in the work to experience. Anyone else? If that's you, me too. Absolutely me too. But John wants this for the church. He wants it for us. To have the kind of relationship with Jesus and others that goes deeper and beyond the kind of relationships that stay at the surface and only talk about our jobs, the weather, and the Canucks. John is so passionate about this that his very joy is connected to this being lived out and enjoyed amongst the people he's writing to. His very joy is tethered to us living this out. It's why he says in verse four, we write this to make our joy complete. See, John is a spiritual father writing to his children, his spiritual kids, and he, he says his joy is bound up with the well-being of those he's writing to. It would bring him great joy, he says, to see them experience what he has. It would bring him great joy to see them push beyond the surface-type stuff to the deeper life with Jesus and one another. A life that John will describe in this letter is one of holy love. A life that puts Jesus above everything. That's the thing about 1 John is that everything he's going to say is going to begin with Jesus. His incarnation, which is what we're talking about this morning, the reality of it, Jesus' holiness and Jesus' love. He's going to teach us this through two messages that are going to pop up and frame this letter. Both messages start with Jesus and then they trickle down into what that means for you and for me and for us as we seek to follow him together. The first message is this, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. This is a call to see God as holy, as without any taint of sin or darkness, just pure goodness, blazingly holy, but it's also a call to be holy as God is holy. And John is gonna say that how we live our lives reveals if we truly know God, that if God is holy, but we're not living in a way that is pursuing holiness, then that actually reveals something about our heart. That's the first message. The second message is God is love and that we should love one another. This is a call to be a people of love who love and take their cues about what it means to love one another from the God who sent his one and only son to come into this world to be an atoning sacrifice for us. And John is gonna say that how we love one another reveals if we've actually passed from death to life. That the state of our rescue into relationship with God is tied to our ability to love one another. Two messages Noticing both begin with Jesus. John always begins with Jesus because Jesus is the light of the world. He is blazingly holy yet deeply human at the same time. He is the God of love with flesh on. He is the heartbeat and the central figure of the church. Always has been and always will. He is what sets the church apart and makes it distinct from every other type of community that you might look for out there. Because make no mistake, we crave community. We crave relationship. It's how we were made. It's in our DNA. We look for community. And here's the truth is you can find community anywhere. You can find it at the gym or the online gaming community, at your favorite coffee shop in town, at the school you go to or the sports team you play on or you cheer for. See, we crave community and we go to find it in places like this. We look for it with people who share the same hobbies we do or like the same movie series we do. It could be running or hiking or playing disc golf or riding bikes or cooking or playing music or doing crafts. It could be Star Wars movies, DC, Marvel movies. Like it could be any of those things. If you're looking for community, you can find it. It's out there and it can provide friendship and a place to belong. 
But there's only one place, one community that has the person and presence of Jesus, and that's the church. And that's what makes us different. It is the person and the presence of Jesus. But what also makes the church the church is how it shares its life together. It's how we live together as a community of Jesus. Jesus prayed about this the night before he went to the cross. There's this prayer in a book of the Bible called John. It's John 17. And Jesus was praying for the church. He was praying for his followers. And he was looking ahead on the other side of the cross and resurrection. And he envisioned groups of people living together in community after that in response to what he'd done. And he started to pray about certain things. And he said, I pray, I pray that the people that follow me would be a community that are set apart and sent to reveal Jesus to the world by how they live together. He prayed that the church would be a community that would be set apart and sent to reveal Jesus to the world by how they live together. John is just simply passing on what he heard from Jesus, that the church is more than a place you attend once a week. It's more than the Bible study you go to. It's a group of people who have put their faith in Jesus and are pursuing him together. It's a people who will share the enjoyment of Jesus and their very lives together in such a way that through their life together, the world sees something of who Jesus is. And the world gets drawn because that looks so different than what they see out, out, out there. This is what Jesus prayed for and what John wants as he begins his letter. He wants us to experience fellowship with Jesus and one another. And for that to happen, John is going to keep bringing us back to the beginning, to Jesus. For John, it all begins and ends and starts with Jesus. And so today, as we sit in this room, as we hear these words thousands of years later, there are two things to take away from this, two ways to respond. See, if you want to be a place, if Central Heights wants to be a place that has something deeper and richer than just sharing a room with one another once a week, we must go back to the beginning and put Jesus above everything. We must go back to the beginning and put Jesus above everything because at the end of the day, Christianity is about the person of Jesus and the enjoyment of his presence. It's about a person. It's all about Jesus. And so wherever you're at today, your faith may be strong. It may be really shaky. You may be happy with what God is doing in your life. You may be really angry at God right now because he is not coming through for you in the way that you want. You may have uncertainty about the future. You may be here exploring who Jesus is, investigating if he is really who he said he was. You may be in any one of those places, wherever you are. My encouragement today is to go back to the beginning and do what John did. Look upon Jesus. Gaze at him. Slow down enough to look at his face. Listen to him. Open up the Bible. Take time to open this up. You don't need a long time, but just a few minutes a day. Open up the Bible, read his words, hear his voice to you. Listen to Jesus and then seek him. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Put yourself in a position to pursue Jesus. Hey, rearrange your schedule if you have to. Move some things around if you have to. Carve out time to be with him because Jesus has promised that when we seek him, we will find him. It all starts with Jesus. So start there. Go back to the beginning. And secondly, embody Jesus' way with one another. See, this is the beautiful thing is when Jesus was on earth, he was present with people. 
He gave them his attention. He spoke words of life and truth to them. He used healthy physical touch with people. And because he did this, people of all backgrounds, all stories, all situations, they felt the presence of God and the warmth of his love. They felt the presence and the love of God. It came close and it became very real to them. And hey, we're not Jesus. We're not ever going to be Jesus, but we can embody him to others. We can embody him to others. And when I say embody, what I mean is when we speak words of kindness and encouragement to someone when they need it. We embody it when we see the person that's alone and we leave our friends that we're, we're hanging out with and we came to church with and we walk over to them and we invite them into community. We see every person, regardless of their appearance, story, or situation, as someone who matters and is worthy of our time and our attention and our love. We embody it with a hug, or when we eat together, or confess our sins to one another, or discern together, or love one another like Jesus has loved us. When we put the way of Jesus into practice, when we don't just listen to it on a Sunday or on a podcast and give our mental assent to it, but we actually go and put it into practice, we will embody the way of Jesus and make his love and his person present to other people. We can embody the love and presence of Jesus and make that felt. That's fellowship. And that brings joy. That brings joy as people's lives are changed, changed and they feel the presence and the love of God through us. And in the end, that's what John wants. He wants others to experience what he has experienced of Jesus. And the only question is, do you want that too? Is that your heart as you come here and call yourself a part of this community? Do you want others to experience Jesus? Are you willing to do that with one another? If it is, then John is going to help us do that through this series. And I, for one, am excited about that. And I hope you are too. Let's pray. Jesus, I can't help but acknowledge the wonder and mystery of who you are, the power of what you did when you left heaven and come to earth. I don't ever want to get over that. I don't ever want to have that become familiar And so I pray that in this room, whether that's been heard for the very first time or this is old hat, I pray that the reality of who you are and your coming and your living and your dying and your rising would come with a fresh force and a power from the Spirit that would soften our hearts and change us from the inside out. Thank you for the call to live in fellowship with you and one another. Help us discern how we can do that and give us the power, God, and the help we need to do that as a community because that's what I want. That's what we want. In Jesus' name, amen.